Thank you for joining us on the Hypnosis Nerd Podcast. I'm Luke Chow. And I'm Kim Gray. We're here at the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis in Toronto, Canada, and this is the second episode, which continues our discussion from last time about the principles and practices that we have here. The second episode takes a closer look at a manifesto that I wrote back in 2006 when I started this practice. It's hard to believe that 13 years later, 13 and a half actually, I'm still in this office that I rented out at the age of 23, but here I am. I'm going to start by describing sort of the uh, general landscape, the hypnotherapy landscape back in 2006, and why I felt it was necessary to write this manifesto, why I felt it was necessary to start from basic principles in the practice that I was starting at the time. So if you follow the story uh, from last episode, I was an English major in university. Um, I worked a number of odd jobs, and then I opened this practice as my first and at this point only adult career. Um, but at the time, um, there, there were a number of larger hypnosis centers here in Toronto. So one of the ways I wanted to stand out was to clearly state the principles upon which um, I am building my practice. One thing I keep emphasizing is that every hypnosis practice is different. Every practitioner comes from a different set of schools and conferences and books that they have consumed, different instructors, uh, they have um, different communities that they're members of. So. Hypnotherapy or hypnosis is not a homogenous profession. It's not like there's a best practice guide that everybody follows. It is, as I've stated, more of an art mm -hmm. than a science. And if you approach hypnotherapy like a science, if you do science on your clients, you're not doing hypnotherapy very well. So back in 2006, the existing larger practices um, almost universally did past life regression. Um, hypnotherapy was a little bit more of a spiritual practice. It was a little bit more um, of a practice where many practitioners felt the need to incorporate new age ideas into the work that they do. Um, me, coming from my background, didn't uh, believe it, it was necessary. I actually had a disagreement with um, one of my instructors back then who said that unless I were spiritual, I would never be a good hypnotherapist. So that kind of stung, <laughs> you can imagine. But um, I stuck true to my beliefs. In 2006, I wrote this manifesto as a statement of what I believe good hypnosis should be about. So today we're going to revisit the manifesto some 13 years later, and we'll see how it held up over time, whether I still believe the core points written in the manifesto, and um, how uh, these ideas have played out over time. One of the motivations for my writing this manifesto is the fact that I thought hypnosis could be more mainstream if hypnotherapists didn't make people believe in new age or spiritual ideas before doing hypnotherapy or as part of hypnotherapy. I wanted to do hypnosis here in downtown Toronto with a wide range of occupations, of people from different cultural backgrounds, 
uh, and to do it in a very secular uh, or you might say humanistic way. So that's kind of where uh, this document is coming from. If you want to follow along at home, there's a link in the description below. If you're watching this on YouTube or if you're listening to this as a podcast, um, you can look at the description for the podcast to find a link to the manifesto. Once again, this is the Results-Based Hypnosis Manifesto. Like it says in the title, I wanted to focus very much on results, which means a focus on the present and the future, as opposed to a focus on exploration or discovery. In other words, a focus on the past. So I'm going to read each of these seven points, and you can follow along at home if you like, and then we'll have a discussion about each of these points, and we'll talk about how my ideas at the age of 23 have played out in the years since then. The first point in the manifesto is that reality trumps theory. So I'll just read from the document here. There are many theories about hypnosis, suggestibility, the subconscious mind, or the unconscious mind, um, belief systems, the root causes of problems, and how your past affects your present. Theories can be useful for predicting which techniques will get certain results, but when your experience doesn't match a theory, it would be a mistake to fit the reality of what's happening into the theoretical model. Results-based hypnosis deals with reality and has no loyalty to theory. Now, just this document raises a lot of interesting epistemological questions mm -hmm. because I use the word reality without defining it, without elaborating upon it. Right. So um, mm -hmm. th there is a lot to unpack in, in this first point here. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Even as I read it, I, I, you know, um, maybe we'll, we'll include this bit. Um, Kim only started with us about a month ago, mm -hmm. so she's relatively new to the hypnosis business. She's kind of seen clients come in and then complete a number of sessions right. and then finish. So uh, When you say reality trumps theory, mm -hmm. um, and theories can be very useful for predicting what techniques uh, will get certain results. Mm -hmm. um, so what would be an example of like a theory that another hypno like a hypnotherapist would use and like yep. relate that to a hypnosis session? Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pick smoking cessation as an example because it is the most common issue that we see here. Hypnotherapists do have a reputation for helping a lot of people quit smoking. That's right, yeah. So let's say that I'm approaching a smoking client under the idea that they have an addiction. Mm -hmm. Let's say that I um, work within or under the addiction model mm -hmm. of nicotine usage. Well, under the addiction model, the client is not in control of their decision-making. They're mm -hmm. not in control of their smoking. Right. Whereas if, if, if I approach the client under the idea that it is a choice, that it is a decision, mm -hmm. that they started smoking in the first place, that they are smoking today, mm -hmm. that um, they uh, can now begin to change, that they can commit to, that in the future, um, they, the client and their human consciousness, is what decides whether or not they will pick up a cigarette. Those two models will result in very different sessions. Mm -hmm. If I work under an addictions model to help people stop smoking, then the client's probably going to require many sessions over a number of weeks because the client has to withdraw Mm. from cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a physical addiction or a psychological addiction, under an addictions model, withdrawal would be indicated. Right. 
under a decision-based model, well, decisions can be made very quickly. In fact, I think most people stop smoking by deciding that they're going to stop smoking and then rearranging their life so that they are a non-smoker without hypnosis. Mm -hmm. So under a decision model, that's where you see one session change. That's where you see two session change. Uh, my approach tends to be a little bit of a hybrid in that the first session is about preparing the client to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And then the second session is to uh, make the decision and then to reinforce it. But if in the intervening week, it turns out that the client needs a slower withdrawal, then that's information. Mm -hmm. So to tie it back in to this point that reality trumps theory, um, it's a matter of fact that a lot of people stop smoking by deciding to, mm -hmm. right? Of course. That's, a, rea that's a reality yep. that contradicts the addiction model mm -hmm. for, for for cigarette usage. Right. Um, so th th that's an example, but mm -hmm. it's, it's a very common one. Um, so one other example of how I put this idea into practice is that um, let's say that I believe that cigarette smoking is more of a decision than it is something that the client's out of con uh, that, that the client can't control. Um, but it turns out that after the first session, the client reports they can't help themselves. Mm -hmm. They report that they feel completely out of control. Well, my new reality is the client in front of me um, doesn't fit the model that I was working under in the first mm -hmm. session. Mm -hmm. So um, reality is constantly changing mm -hmm. and fluid, but it's whatever is in front of you or whomever is in front of you and what they're saying at the time. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't want to fit that client I just described into my usual two session smoking program mm -hmm. because if they need further sessions, um, you know, if they need a slower withdrawal, then that's, that's what they're gonna end up needing. Mm -hmm. um, so th th that is an example of uh, this idea, this first idea put into practice. Right, so there's no just one framework for every client. You, yeah. Everything's subjective for each particular client, even though yeah. it's smoking cessation, yeah. um, it's still more subjective. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You um, have to be flexible and change with the client as they change. Yes, so hypnosis, I truly believe, mm -hmm. is more of an art than a science. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the ways. It's an art form mm -hmm. where the art is how do I communicate to a client who's in front of me better attitudes, healthier perspectives that will enable them to make the change that they want to make. And mm -hmm. there is usually no simple pat answer for that. There is no universal solution for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and the art is to see the client in front of you and then adapt to any feedback on an ongoing basis. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, do you have any other questions, Kim, about um, this first point, reality trumps theory? Um, no, I like how you described reality as uh, it's constantly changing mm -hmm. and the therapist, so yourself, would have to be mm -hmm. flexible and adapt to the nature of the client. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just one objective framework where we just fit all the clients in one, sa the same box. So you have Pre to be flexible. Precisely, mm -hmm. yes. Although I do want to say I'm not a real therapist. Hypnotherapist. Thank you. <laughs> You're well, welcome. <laughs> then let's move on to the second point here, which is your experiences after hypnosis are more important than your experiences during hypnosis. Contrast results-based hypnosis 
against relaxation-based hypnosis or feel-good hypnosis that doesn't want you to feel any kind of pressure or uh, anxiety. Uh, change doesn't always feel good. Results-based hypnosis will push you out of your comfort zone, challenge you, and make you think in ways that you have never thought before. If you spend one hour per week being challenged and the other 167 hours a week being a better, happier person, we are doing our job. Uh, some clients who don't feel hypnotized end up experiencing profound changes. At the end, only the results matter. Mm. Now, this was one, it was one of my pet peeves when I was learning hypnosis that often the instructor would focus on what happens in the office with little regard for what happens with the client after the session's over. Okay. Weeks later, months yeah. later, years later, and of course the client isn't here just to get a mental massage in a right. way. It yeah. is supposed to be for change. Right, lasting changes. Yeah, I mean, in the client's mind, the mm -hmm. ideal hypnosis session mm -hmm. is one session change, permanent, and they need to do no work whatsoever. They <laughs> want it to work like magic. Right. Um, if all yes. the stars align, sometimes, very rarely, that does happen, mm -hmm. but it's not the norm, it's not typical, it cannot be expected. You have to be able to measure something in order to be able to improve it. Um, if you don't... Yeah. yeah. If you aren't keeping your eye on how happy your clients are weeks after their sessions, mm -hmm. then you can't state with intellectual honesty that your clients are happy or that X percentage of your clients are happy. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, people often ask me, what's my success rate? And I give them a very long-winded answer, which I'll summarize as, mm -hmm. on a two-week follow-up, um, out of all the people who answered their phone, mm -hmm. uh, the reported satisfaction rate is, you know, it's usually high 80s mm -hmm. um, as a percentage. Yep. Um, but, you know, then they'll ask, well, what about five years later? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, we don't know. Um, <laughs> you can't I'm, determine I'm not going to yeah. pretend that we know. Yeah. yeah um, I mean, unless we actually have people signing up to be followed, which our clients are not <laughs> yeah. really asking for. Um, but unless they're signing up for a study, mm -hmm. then it, it wouldn't be appropriate to keep chasing them down for data yep. about how, how they're doing. That would just be um, like us stalking them. It would it's be invasive. It, it, it would be intrusive. <laughs> yeah. When I say results after hypnosis, I mean between their sessions as well as after their sessions are over. So mm -hmm. usually by the time that we're wrapping up a client, it's because they're reporting good results in the weeks between sessions. And typically my programs have a weaning off process mm -hmm. where let's say five sessions is done not in five consecutive weeks, but over about two or three months. Mm -hmm. Because if the client comes every week, or God forbid, multiple times a week, then how do they know, or how do I know, that it is them who's made a change? Mm -hmm. what, maybe it's just the recency of my words in their ears that is causing them to feel better, not because they've actually internalized what I've said. So the way mm -hmm. that we make sure that people have internalized the things I've said is we just have a gradual weaning off process where there is more time um, in between sessions uh, as the client progresses. Mm -hmm. So that fits under this rule here, which is the experiences after hypnosis are mm -hmm. more important than the experience in the room. Now, um, over time, so, one thing it says here is uh, some clients who don't feel hypnotized end up experiencing profound changes. Mm -hmm. um, and that is one thing that's kind of changed over time. Okay. Where today, almost none of our clients 
come out of a room mm -hmm. saying that they don't feel hypnotized. I was going to say that, yeah. So mm -hmm. I wrote this document when I was basically just starting my practice, mm -hmm. and I had very little experience. So I think some of my clients who didn't feel hypnotized just may not have... Um, you know, uh, relaxed as deeply or suspended their analytical thinking as much and they mm -hmm. weren't as absorbed as much. But um, sometimes they do make profound changes, I guess, by internalizing what I've said, right. even though they're questionably in hypnosis. Interesting. Would but, you say that's a, like a subconscious change if they're not consciously aware of those changes or well, they feel like they weren't hypnotized, although they still reap the benefits? Well, th there, there are two things that have to come together mm -hmm. for someone to experience change during hypnosis. Mm -hmm. One is the client suspending their analytical mind that's so right, that yeah. they can internalize what is being uh, suggested. Mm -hmm. And the other is that good ideas are being suggested. So it's those two things. Mm -hmm. If someone's actually not hypnotized, but they're exposed to better ideas, they can still benefit. Hmm. It just is if they're also hypnotized, mm -hmm. they're not analyzing or rejecting what I'm saying as okay. much, right. and they're better able to then internalize what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So we like to stack the, the odds in favor of the client changing and relatively quickly. The hypnosis part um, does matter more than I might have given it credit for when I wrote this document. Today in 2020, uh, if the client doesn't feel hypnotized, we don't. We just don't charge them for the session. It's mm -hmm. um, you know there are a few objective tests that we do, but we want universally satisfied clients. So today we want clients to feel hypnotized and to make profound changes. Right. Yeah. Do, do you have any questions about this point or? Um, I think you covered everything really well. Uh, I think it's interesting too. Experiences after hypnosis are more important than uh, your experiences during, because most people they focus so much on how they feel right after the session. Mm -hmm. They almost want to feel instant changes, which doesn't always happen. And sometimes they're surprised days later when we call to do a follow up, mm -hmm. uh, how much better they're feeling a week later than coming directly out of session. So it's interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, you're the one who does the follow-ups, mm -hmm. so I guess you have first-hand knowledge of what people say weeks <laughs> later when we call them up. Mm -hmm. um, That's so I'm usually glad, great feedback. So well, I'm glad yeah. to hear that. Mm -hmm. um, well, I guess that's one thing I did realize early on. Well, I guess um, one thing I did realize early on is that um, if you measure right after the session's over, how many people want to have a cigarette or mm -hmm. how many people want to eat mm -hmm. junk food, it's, it's, it's a very small number. Mm -hmm. But the more time that passes since that session, mm -hmm. the more people will be exposed to other influences yes. and then they will often want a cigarette or That's to right, eat yeah. junk food mm -hmm. because I'm not the only influence on, the, on a client's life. At most, a client might spend one hour every week here in this office at most. Mm -hmm. At the same time, they spend 167 other hours commuting, at work, at home, at the movies, and everywhere else. Mm -hmm. So when I say I am just one influence on the client's life, um, that should give you a sense of uh, proportion. But in the hour that the client's here for, I do want to give them concentrated positivity. I want to give them clear thinking. Mm -hmm. I want to give them thinking that's validated by the world out there so that it self-perpetuates in the world out there. One other uh, 
point that I'll challenge that's in the manifesto, so one way that my thinking has evolved, I, I no longer believe it's necessary for the client to face difficult emotions mm. or to face difficult memories mm-hmm. um, or to otherwise, well, the way I put it was to go through the fire to get to the other side. Mm. Um, it is possible for the client to have good experiences and be exposed to good ideas and receive benefits by hearing better ideas without looking at the past, without looking at difficult emotions. So I actually would um, say that some of the points I make uh, under that your experiences after hypnosis are more important than experiences during hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would change it by saying it is now possible for the client to feel good and for them to change more quickly mm-hmm. than when I was doing work that looked at the past or that looked at the problem or that looked at the challenges. Mm -hmm. So now I am more of the mindset that we want the client to stay relaxed throughout the whole experience. Right. Well, one of the differences between back then and now is back then I was practicing a little bit more like a therapist, a little bit more like a psychotherapist, in that I was trying to unravel the problem rather than to deliver solutions. But I think it's with experience with a few thousand clients who've come through our doors here. Now, at this point, we can deliver the solution knowing that we have a a basis Mm -hmm. um, for knowing that it's going to work for most people. Mm -hmm. That's something I didn't have at the age of 23. One point I keep making is that you don't have to look at the problem. Almost universally, People will leave a session feeling like they're floating on a cloud. Mm -hmm. I often hear that they were more deeply relaxed during hypnosis here than they have been at any other point of their life. Mm -hmm. Um, But today, that is something I practically take for granted um, because it happens so consistently. Um, So when clients say that they feel good for a few days afterward, um, for me, that's on par for the course. Mm. For me, what I'm striving for, what I'm aiming for, is after the physical relaxation wears off in a few days, are my ideas sticking with the client? Do my ideas still resonate? And is the client still seeing in their life, in the real world, that what I've said in the session was not just a fantasy, but instead is uh, validated by by reality, that um, we want them to see that the truth is better than their fears had told them. We want them to see that time and time again, the worst case scenarios turn out to be wrong, and mm-hmm. they are still safe despite their fears. So we want the client to keep seeing the aspects of reality that I point out during sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see much of my job here as pointing out truths that the client has overlooked, right. as pointing out Uh, truths that are reassuring or truths Mm -hmm. that are comforting or truths that are inspiring or motivating because it's a really great big wide world out there Mm -hmm. and many people focus on what hasn't even gone wrong yet but what could go wrong Mm -hmm. um, to the detriment of so much out here in this world Mm -hmm. that is good or comforting reassuring or inspiring Mm -hmm. so I believe we don't have to put clients in a fantasy world Mm Um, We don't have to make up, for example, a forest or a pond or a mountain (laughs) in order for the client to be relaxed or to feel good. It's Mm -hmm. possible for them to walk out and 
walk down one of the busiest streets in the city, past commercial signs and so on, um, with lots of traffic noise, you might have heard the honking outside, and still be relaxed. So the third point under the results-based hypnosis manifesto is our job, the hypnotist's job, is to help you get from point A to point B, and and it's up to you, the client, to define those points. In other words, we're not here to tell you what's wrong with you. We're not here to tell you how you should live your life. When you begin hypnotherapy, you'll tell us what you want to change and tell us what your goals are. Our job is to help you get from point A to point B and to correct your course until you reach your goals. Mm -hmm. Now, this is an idea that has somewhat evolved over time, but I Mm -hmm. still basically do believe this. Uh, 13 years ago, Uber didn't exist. So I couldn't use the analogy that I use today, which is that I am kind of like an Uber driver. (laughs) I need to know what the pickup point is. I need to know what the destination is. I'm going to look at you quizzically if Mm. you tell me just to drive, because that only happens in movies. (laughs) That's a great metaphor. (laughs) And just to expand upon the metaphor, Mm -hmm. it is my job to look out for challenges and detours and obstacles. It is my job. Um, with a client in the backseat to navigate such that they reach their destination. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we end up taking longer detours than expected, Mm -hmm. but I'm still keeping my eye on the destination on point B. Um, One of the ways that my work has evolved is just with more experience, I've been better able to suggest what a point B might be for a client. seems that uh, human beings are much more similar than they are different. And what is comforting or inspiring for one person is usually comforting or inspiring for the next person as well. I guess to add upon the metaphor, it's like I'm a tour guide Mm -hmm. pointing things out. I'm not just an Uber driver, but now I'm also an Uber driver who uh, does tours. No, I just find it interesting because some people are literally like, well, I don't have or I've met some clients, they're like, I don't really have any issues. I just want to be hypnotized and just feel better and just generally feel less anxieties. But I tell them, well, we, it's it's easier to have a specific issue in mind because then, as you say, from point A to point B, mm-hmm. you can yep. actually have more specific results that way instead of just sort of driving around in the dark. Yes. And... I'm sure that many practitioners will be happy to put you through a forest or a pond or a mountain just for relaxation. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a valid approach just for relaxation. But we have a YouTube channel with several free sessions. Um, That, in my opinion, is the value of relaxation sessions. Mm -hmm. I am giving them away for free here on YouTube. Um, So uh, that's where we could direct people if they don't know what they want out of hypnosis. That's right, yeah. But I'm sure that everyone has some goals. Everyone has Mm -hmm. at least something in their life they're dissatisfied with or some kind of dream or hope or goal Mm -hmm. that they feel uh, stymied when Mm -hmm. they start thinking about um, uh, beginning a project. Um, And if you're listening to this on our podcast, uh, the YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Morpheus Hypnosis. So the fourth point I wrote into this manifesto is... Our plans are only useful until your plans thwart them, but that's part of the process. 
and I'll read what I wrote in 2006. Many hypnotherapists will follow a script that they wrote prior to the session. That's like pointing a car toward a destination, putting on a blindfold, and flooring it. <laughs> it can work if everything goes according to plan. But if you have any blocks or limitations getting in the way, a hypnotherapist following a script will not be able to adapt to changing circumstances. A results-based hypnosis solicits your continual feedback during a session, which means that your verbal and nonverbal cues determine the progress and structure of your session. That way, we're able to respond immediately and effectively to any problems or objections that arise and ensure that you are on track throughout the session. We also ask you to report on the progress you make between each session so that we can structure your entire program based on results you notice in the real world. When you're sitting in our passenger seat, we drive with both eyes on the road. So one of the um, practices that I was, I was railing against uh, when I wrote this segment is uh, script reading, um, or in the bigger picture, mm-hmm. uh, pre-planned programs or one-size-fits-all programs. Unfortunately, hypnotherapy training is not very good. Um, there are some more comprehensive schools, but honestly, every good practitioner I know has learned from a number of different schools, a number of different organizations, a number of different uh, practitioners or teachers, and they sort of develop their own thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was railing against what I saw as poorly trained practitioners who have to read a script and use an off-the-shelf program, and essentially they're doing an unskilled job. People say I have a good voice, but people aren't paying just to hear me talk. People aren't paying to sit in a dim, warm room. People aren't paying just to be hypnotized. The one thing that adds the most value to sessions that I do is another layer of thinking that they had not considered before and that's going to help them. If you imagine that the client comes in and they've never been an adult Mm non-smoker or they've never had good communication and relationships modeled to them, then they literally don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just accustomed to how they had lived until that point. Mm -hmm. So in in my opinion, you can pay someone to read a script in a nice voice if you go to the local acting school and pay for (laughs) someone to put on the voice of a hypnotist and then to read a script. Mm -hmm. They'll be more proficient at script reading than the average hypnosis practitioner. In my opinion, where the hypnotist or the hypnotherapist or the consulting hypnotist comes in is to add a layer of solution-focused thinking on top of the client's own. Because if the client doesn't have any models for healthy thinking or healthy behaviors as it pertains to their problem, then my job is going to be to give them that layer. My Mm -hmm. plans are only useful until the client thwarts them. I am not an authority on the client's life or their decisions or their past or their future. I am a drop in an ocean Mm -hmm. when it comes to influences on their life. The client, each client, at least adult clients, um, they are the world's only authority on themselves. And that's the only perspective that's even fair to our adult clients, right? Mm -hmm. Because does anyone know you better than you do? 
Does anyone have your set of memories, your set of opinions, your set of stories, your set of uh, books and movies that you've consumed over your life? Probably not. You're the world's only authority on yourself, and it matters. And it means I am not in any way an authority on the client's life. Mm -hmm. This is also why um, point three is that my job is like the Uber driver, while the client gets to decide where we're starting from, or they get to describe where we're starting from, and they get to decide where we're going. Um, but um, I guess the fourth point expands upon the Uber analogy because <clears throat> I might start on a route um, that's as close to a straight line as possible. Mm -hmm. But if there are any challenges or obstacles, many of which are unforeseen, then I'm going to have to change the route. But that doesn't mm -hmm. prevent me from getting to the destination. Right. If I were to read a script or follow an off-the-shelf program, I would just take that one path. Mm -hmm. And if there is a roadblock for whatever reason or some unforeseen challenge, then I'm stuck and the client's stuck. Mm -hmm. It is important to keep your eyes wide open and to have a constantly evolving plan when it comes to leading a client out of whatever situation they're in into a better mode of thinking. Right, and that's what you mean by continual feedback or soliciting continual feedback to make sure that you're on the right course. Yes, so um, in between sessions, um, the client's gonna usually notice that some of <clears throat> my ideas have stuck with them. Mm -hmm. Some people actually report they hear my voice inside their head repeating mm -hmm. what they heard during a session. I'll ask at the start of each session, um, what has stuck with you? Mm. What changes have you noticed? As well as uh, what hasn't yet stuck and what do you want to focus on? So that's my chance to kind of see how the last session impacted the client over a week or over a few weeks. And then on the spot, I'm going to have to decide what I'm going to do that session, as mm. opposed to following a standard program or script. Mm -hmm. Because what the client tells me is going to be completely unexpected. Of course. The fifth point is that being a hypnosis client should not require a leap of faith. <clears throat> Concepts such as past lives, chakras, and energy meridians are not only difficult uh, or impossible, in fact, to prove, but for the most part cannot be used to obtain reliable results. We use concepts that you can understand rationally and intuitively, and which you can verify through direct experience. If something can't be verified, it's not results-based. Mm. So one point I keep making is it's a great big vast world, and mm -hmm. a large part of my job is to point out truths that are comforting, truths that are inspiring, that the client will keep seeing in the mm -hmm. world out there so that they're not in a fantasy world. And that's probably a point I would put if I were to rewrite this, mm -hmm. which is that a hypnotist's job is not to put the client in a fantasy world or visualization mm -hmm. or headspace. Instead, if I could call the shots for every practice, which I don't, mm -hmm. instead, the hypnotist's job is to point out what is true and, well, you know the list. That's how I'll modernize, I guess, my fifth point here, which is that being a hypnosis client should not require a leap of faith. Right. Now, there are some people who already believe in past lives and past life regression mm -hmm. and so on, mm -hmm. and there are practitioners catering to people who um, want their hypnosis to fit within that belief system. But um, the truth I'm talking about are things like that. When you take another deep breath, you can. It's one thing that's always there. Um, one other truth is the sun's gonna rise tomorrow. The, another truth is 
when you wake up, you're going to be feeling better. Most likely you'll be feeling better mm -hmm. than when you fall asleep. Um, so these are things that the client uh, can see over and over again. It's not ideological. It's not mm -hmm. political. It's not religious. Mm -hmm. um, these are things that apply universally to all human beings. Past life, chakra, and energy meridians. I feel like that sort of relates to what we were talking about in the last episode with the unconscious mind and mm -hmm. how it's similar to peering into a dark room, um, especially with past lives. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. we've had past lives. But there's really no way of actually knowing with yeah. sound knowledge yep. that there ever was such a thing. So yeah, uh, being a hypnosis client should not require a leap of faith. Instead, um, I explain hypnosis as an opening of the client's mind at the same time that the practitioner is communicating effectively and efficiently a number of good ideas um, or better ideas than the client's thinking when they first walk in. Um, so it's, it's a combination of the client opening their mind and the practitioner instilling good ideas or better attitudes. That's what causes change. Um, and you don't have to believe in hypnosis, or you don't have to make a big deal out of hypnosis, if we reduce hypnosis down to those two principles. Point six, we practitioners succeed by being more flexible and more resourceful than you are. If you have had a fear, a habit, or a limiting belief for some time, you have developed many ways to keep that problem in place and have imagined many reasons for why you are broken. Um, if you have more ways of keeping the problem than your hypnotherapist has of fixing the problem, he or she cannot succeed. Mm. So we need to have something counteracting every limiting belief um, or perspective that you might hold in your mind. Um, some of which you might not even be able to articulate, which I'll speak to in the next point. Order. Just to continue reading this manifesto, um, in order to help you overcome the problem, we have been trained in a wide array of tools that deal with limiting beliefs, which we deploy as needed. A results-based hypnotherapist remains highly flexible and responsive during a session while keeping an eye on the goal the same way that an NHL player skates an elaborate path around <laughs> opposing players before finally shooting the puck into the net. I'm not sure what I was... <laughs> um, what mindset I was in, but yeah, there's a, there's a sports analogy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've used the airplane analogy. I've used a driving analogy, mm -hmm. like an Uber analogy. There's a sports analogy for what I'm doing with hypnotherapy. Right. So the seventh and last point in this manifesto is that insight into your problems leads to elegant change. Repeating the same suggestions over a number of sessions is a poor substitute for skill. Using repetition to overcome a problem is like using a battering ram to break open a door for which a key can be found. When a hypnotherapist has deep insights about you and your situation, he or she can produce elegant change that is results obtained without repetition, mm -hmm. unnecessary steps, or suggestions that elicit resistance from the client. The results-based hypnotherapist strives for elegant change in every session. So um, this is a point that I think has evolved over the years so much that it, it, my current thinking on this topic is different. Mm -hmm. Unlike so many of the other points, mm. this is one thing um, that, I, um, that I might challenge. Um, in the first years of my practice, I practiced under the model that um, the client gaining their own insight is what causes change, 
the hypnotherapist is a facilitator but doesn't actually just straight up lead or guide um, the client. The hypnotherapist is not, is not very directive. And that's sort of a psychotherapy or psychoanalysis-informed model. Whereas today, I take more of the approach that you don't find good solutions by looking closely at the problem. Mm -hmm. You find good solutions by looking at people with clear thinking, with people who have overcome the problem the client has, people who um, have the client's problem but deal with it with a healthier attitude. That's where you find better solutions than by looking closely at the client's problem. Mm -hmm. The way my thinking around this uh, has evolved over time um, is that I still believe insight into the client's problems leads to elegant change. I don't mm -hmm. disagree with the headline, just as I don't think I, I disagree with any of the headlines that I wrote at the age of 23. I think I only disagree with the details or the exposition that I wrote at the time. Um, so today, I see myself <laughs> as the source of insight. Mm -hmm rather than looking for it in the client's thinking or the client's past or the client's mind. Um, I have found that this produces faster results. It's, if you ask me, it's because you don't find solutions by looking closely at the problem. Mm -hmm. Actually, multiple courses keep talking about how repetition is key. Mm. Um, they talk about the law of compounding, which is that each time, each time you say a suggestion and then the client listens to it, mm -hmm. it sinks in more deeply. Mm -hmm. But um, I, even as I speak, I can think of three instructors who've made that point that repetition is key. Mm -hmm. More and more so these days, I'm looking to hit the nail on the head uh, on the first try, ideally, but more mm -hmm. typically, you know, we'll dance around it. And then out of everything I say in a session, some of the points I make will hit the nail on the head. Mm -hmm. So there seems to be um, a direction that my programs are going in, uh, which is it seems to be converging on a single session mm. um, where I think after about 10 more years of practice, one session change will probably be typical. And it's going to require lots of uh, experience and insight so mm -hmm. I can read the client. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, it means I'm going to have to hit the nail on the head a lot during that one session. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that more and more so, I'm able to hear a little bit from the client and know a lot about them. Mm -hmm. And I'm able to hit the nail on the head in the session. Mm -hmm. And if I keep moving in that direction, then more and more of the programs will go from three sessions to two sessions and then one session. When I talk about converging upon one session change, um, it's because we're uh, looking at the number of sessions that people do, what I'm saying in them, and also the results on a two-week follow-up. Mm -hmm. So I'll just give some final thoughts on the results-based hypnosis manifesto and how it's evolved over time, um, or how the application of it has evolved over time. Because I am not doing everything I did at the age of 23, I have iterated upon the ideas that I had back then, and really there is no other fair expectation you would have other than that I iterate based on previous um, thinking or ideas. Um, but fundamentally, most of the main points are there. 
is what I'm saying here is good epistemology matters. And good epistemology refers both to me seeing the client in front of me, and then as accurately as possible, uh, deducing the cause of the problems and what I have to say. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Um, but also, it is instilling good epistemology in our clients' minds. Mm -hmm. I believe that the closer we are to reality or the truth, the less uh, neurotic or worried or anxious we are. That our anxieties and worries take us out of a world where um, if you take a deep breath, then you're able to find some peace and calm wherever you are. That the current reality for you right now probably isn't all that bad. So in these videos so far, I've explained hypnosis through the lens of a practice that believes these points. Um, the headline points, I think I'm gonna keep for the rest of my career. The details will change and I might mm -hmm. add to the list, but uh, this document that I wrote at the age of 23 seems to have held up primarily over time. If you've enjoyed this content, please like this post, comment and subscribe if you're listening to this on YouTube, or subscribe to our podcast if you're listening to this in podcast form. Again, I'm Luke Chow from the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis in Toronto, Canada. And I'm Kim Gray. Thank you for joining us. Mm -hmm.